Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, would you turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Matthew, chapter 21. We are going to start a new series of messages this morning, a short little series, about four or five weeks. And um, the, the name of the series is Paradox. Paradox, not paradox, it's not two ducks, it's paradox. So turn to the person next to you and say, Paradox. Yeah, where does he get this stuff? I don't know. But Paradox is a familiar word to some of you, and some of you are thinking, I don't know what that is, but I'm not going to ask. So let's just do this to start. Let's, let's put a definition up on the screen so that you can see what paradox is. This is right out of the dictionary. Paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement that, or situation that, when investigated or explained, may prove to be well-founded or true. Another definition, again from the dictionary, it's a situation, person, or thing that combines contradictory features or qualities. That's what a paradox is. So uh, some of you are like, now you're going, oh, I see, I understand. And others you're going, that did not help me at all. I need some examples. So let me give you a couple of examples. You ever heard the expression before, less is more? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that expression, less is more. Less is more as a phrase is a paradox. Because less really isn't more. It's a paradox. Or uh, how about the, the, um, the quote, the pen is mightier. Very good. You know your paradoxes. Very good. Yeah, that, that is a paradox as well. Or um, from a, a U2 lyric from the, the Joshua Tree album, 1987, Bono sings, I can't live with or you guys are so much better. First service, look at me like. You too? Bono? What are we talking about? Yeah. Sorry if you don't, you've missed out on that. You missed out on some good music. Anyway, I can't live with or without you. These are paradoxes. We probably know a relationship, someone that's been in a relationship, maybe we've been in one, where it felt like I cannot live with her and I cannot live without her or him. We understand that in, in, a, in a qualitative sense that having less may be richer and more wonderful than having more. It's possible to, have, to, to experience less that is better than more. I wouldn't want to go to a battle with a pen. I'd much rather have a sword. But at the same time, we understand that, that the, the capacities and abilities of someone writing can actually cause more damage or more life to be released in someone's situation than having a sword at a battle. So the pen can be, in a sense, mightier than the sword. These are paradoxes. And here's the thing. The scriptures are full of paradoxes. In particular, the gospels, the teachings of Jesus, are full of paradoxes. And that's what we're going to be spending our time on. And the reason that we're going to do this is that we're going to focus on these is this, because the greatest truths in the universe, the secrets, this sounds like an infomercial, the secrets to life and hope and purpose are always in the kingdom wrapped in a paradox, always. And as we see them, as we accept them, as we embrace them, we begin to experience the richness of the life and the hope and the purpose that God gives his people. But you got to go into the paradox. you got to go to it and through it. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we open your word this morning, cause our understanding to be opened, that we might experience the truth of your scriptures transforming our lives. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Matthew chapter 21. This is the text. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. This is the text for Palm Sunday. It is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem during the last eight days of his life. Look with me starting in verse 1, chapter 21, book of Matthew. It says, when, he, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Probably, if you've been in church, you've probably heard this text or one of the other gospel texts about the triumphal entry hundreds of times. But it is a paradox-rich environment. It's just full of paradox. So just a quick recap. Jesus sends his disciples and says, I want you to go get a donkey. And in the Matthew account, it says a donkey and a colt. And I want you to bring them to me. If anybody asks you anything about it, say the Lord needs it and they'll let him go. Of course, we know in other other gospel uh, accounts, they are actually challenged. They're told, like, what are you doing? And they say that, you know, the Lord needs it. And of course, they're released to come. This is interesting because Matthew's is the only gospel that shares that there there is a donkey and a colt. And it says that they bring both of them. The colt is the donkey's offspring. It's the younger donkey, most likely one that never had been ridden before. And so when the, the donkey and the little, the big donkey and the little donkey, I'll say it that way, the big donkey and little donkey come to Jesus, the text says that he rode on them both. And I can distinctly remember as a kid thinking, oh, I bet that was interesting. Like, it's hard enough to ride an animal when it's just one animal. Did he like straddle both of them at the same time? It's most likely that he only rode the younger donkey the one that had never been ridden before, or it is possible that he rode the big donkey for a while and then got off and rode the other donkey. We don't know exactly, but the point is there are two animals and Jesus is on the little one for most of the time. And he's coming into Jerusalem. He's he's going into the city and the people are just excited. They are amped up. They are pumped. They are taking off their outer garments and they are laying those outer garments onto the road. They're cutting off palm fronds from the, from the trees and they're laying those in the road so that the animal on which Jesus is riding doesn't even have to touch the ground. Now think about that. This is, this is not like us. Like, I don't know about you. We have, a, we have a closet that has more clothes than we can wear. I mean, at least one side of the closet has more clothes than we can wear. That's not what these folks had. They had whatever, you know, a very limited, most likely a very limited supply of clothing. And they're taking off one of their few garments and they're laying it on the ground. It's bad enough that the donkey could walk on it. But donkeys do other things than just walk, right? 
So, I mean, they're just, they're, they're just laying it out there. I mean, that's how excited this crowd is. It's like, I don't even care if a donkey does his donkey business on my cloak. I want to honor this one that is coming into Jerusalem. And the reason is, is that they believed he was the Messiah. Their shouts, they, they use the phrase, son of David, which is a messianic expression. They expected Jesus to come and to set up his kingdom on earth in Jerusalem to boot out the Romans, to, to shake up the religious hierarchy, and for Jesus to be king. And if you're thinking that's what's going to happen, then what's the big deal about throwing your cloak out into the ground, into the road, and letting a, a donkey walk across it? They were saying, Hosanna, which means save us, we pray. Son of David, Hosanna. You put those together, they were saying, save us, Messiah. Come, Messiah, save us. Rescue us. They were celebrating, they were jubilant, there was a sense of anticipation, there was a sense of expectation that this is the moment. But the the verses are full of paradox. Let me give you a few of them this morning. The first one is this. First paradox. The king of kings, the king of all kings, comes riding into Jerusalem on a young donkey that no one has ever ridden on before kings who conquer in battle come into town riding on what horses jesus specifically showed himself not to be a uh, sorry not to be a military leader but rather a civil leader not to come in conquest but to come in humility and service He didn't come to destroy the power of Rome. That's why he's not on a horse. He came to destroy the power of sin, and they didn't understand that. His conquering was going to be accomplished through sacrifice, not through domination of the Romans. And think about how the people on the sides of the road are misunderstanding this. Even his own disciples are misunderstanding this. They think this is the time. He's going to do it. He's going to set up his kingdom. It's a paradox. Here's another one. Some in the crowd are are celebrating him. They're saying things like this, Hosanna to the son of David. They're shouting at the top of their lungs. They're celebrating. I mean, remember remember the other uh, gospel translation where where the, the religious leaders say to Jesus, you know, tell them to stop singing praises to you. And what's he say? If they don't sing out, who's gonna sing? The rocks are gonna cry out. That's how intense the celebration was. I don't think we, maybe because we grew up in Sunday school and we do little, you know, plays and stuff, it, it seems kind of, vanilla and plain what's going on here. This is a full-on party. They are psyched. They are anticipating a coup. Jesus is going to roll in on his donkey and go up and just start moving Pilate out and dealing with Herod and dealing with those Pharisees. They think that's what's getting ready to take place. And so the crowd is elated. They're ecstatic. Five days later, some of the same people are crying out for Jesus' death. Pilate said to them, what do I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Inside of a week, some of the very same people that were cheering for Jesus are are now jeering Jesus and are scorning him. They they think that Jesus is going to come into town and stamp out the power of the Romans. And just a few days later, they're appealing to Rome to kill Jesus. It's a paradox. Another paradox. 
As the crowd praise Jesus, as they worship him, as they spread out their clothing on the road, as they cut palm branches and lay them down, they are honoring him to such a high degree that they don't want his animal to touch the ground. The foot of that donkey is not even touching the actual dirt because of the way that they're honoring Jesus. They're throwing their clothes on the ground. Just a few days later, his clothes will be stripped off of him. The guards will gamble for them by casting lots, it says in Matthew 27. He goes to being blessed by the crowd. They're blessing him. They're worshiping him. To judging him, to scorning him, to mocking him. He goes from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree in five days. He goes from having these palm branches laid out on the ground before him to actually being nailed to a tree. It's a paradox. Even the name, think about this, the triumphal entry. What a paradox. Really? Seriously? What it actually was, was the trip to his execution. He is moving day by day through that week towards his execution. I have an opinion. You know how they write inside of your, um, I have many opinions. You know how they write inside of your Bible and they've got those little subtitles? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Good. Most of you. Good. If they ever ask me to do that, the triumphal entry should not be here. We can call it Palm Sunday if we want to, but it's nothing triumphal about it. Where the triumphal entry should be is after Jesus raises from the dead and the 11 disciples are hiding in the upper room and they're like all afraid that the religious leaders are going to show up and the next thing you know, Jesus kind of just walks through a wall and appears. That's a triumphal entry. That's where, I mean, that's like, yeah, okay, here it is. I'm in the room. Come, come touch my hands. Come touch my feet. See my side where I've been stabbed. That's a triumphal entry. I mean, there, if you look, and I, you can do this if you'd like, if you look and you go through the text, you will see one after another, after another, after another, these paradoxical elements of the story. And they are all through the Holy Week. But they're more than just interesting or thought-provoking. This is what I want you to grab this morning. To follow Jesus requires us to regularly encounter and embrace paradox. It is an upside-down kingdom that we are a part of. To fully live for Christ means to continuously engage with things that seem contradictory. And there's no way to avoid them. I mean, think about what would it have been like to have been in the crowd that day? What would it have been like to have been along the sides, you know, taking your cloak off or cutting the, cutting the palm branches down and the cheering and the shouting, the messianic expectations, the, the hope that the religious hierarchy would be upended, all of that. What would it have been like to be there and then to realize later it was all a big farce? It was all paradox. It was all a contradiction. That sense of impending victory over Rome. You know what? Within 40 years, Rome has already destroyed Jerusalem and the temple is torn down. It wasn't going to happen, but they didn't understand that. There was not going to be a Jewish, an independent Jewish nation. It was a couple thousand years off. The long-awaited justice that they had been praying and seeking God for wasn't going to be. And the crowd and the disciples missed it. They missed what was really happening. They missed the, the, the tragedy that was about to unfold before them, but they also missed they also missed the glorious and beautiful thing that was going to take place. And here's the thing. I feel like many, maybe not most, but many Christians, many Christ followers in our nation have that same kind of misconception. They, they, they kind of, and I'm not trying to turn to the person next to you and say, he's not down on the church, he's not being angry with the church. 
I'm not. The church is Jesus' bride. When people start tearing into the church, they're messing with Jesus' bride. Not a good idea ever. But I will say this. That there are many churches and many people that focus on the Palm Sunday realities and not the realities of the latter part of the week. That their walk with Christ is more shaped by the, 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 the celebration and the cheering and the jubilation and the expectation that God will come in and he'll upend their political system and we'll finally have a righteous president. And maybe one day the religious hierarchy will be upset and it'll be like the way that God intended it to be. And I'm here to tell you that it, they are just as wrong now as, as the folks were back on Palm Sunday. People are celebrating things that aren't quite real and aren't going to happen. And in that, them now and us here today are missing the point that God did not come, that Jesus did not come to give us an always sunny, always celebrating, always safe walk with Christ. Following Jesus is a paradox. And let let me be very, very clear. Following Jesus is hard. It's good, but it's hard. And if, if anyone tells you that it's not, they're either not living in reality or they're not really following Jesus. It was never supposed to be easy. It's glorious, but it's not easy. It requires death, but gives life. It promises freedom, but it comes through surrender. And so I just want to ask you this morning, as we get ready to go into this very special week, do you want a Palm Sunday kind of relationship with Jesus? Are you looking for something temporary to be excited about? A spectacle, a light show, a celebration, a short-term and immediate victory, a political um, accomplishment that we have the right person leading us or the right people leading us? Is that what we're focused on? Or are we willing to say with Jesus, say to Jesus, I'll walk with you through this whole week, even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's dangerous, even if it gets deadly. Because see, here's the thing. Everybody loves Easter Sunday morning. Amen? Come on, tell me, do you like Easter Sunday morning? All right, let's try it again. Now that you're hungry, muscle up that strength. You can do it. Do you like Easter Sunday morning? Yes, of course. We were in a store yesterday. I offered to buy Susan a dress, and she turned me down. Can you believe that, ladies? I wanted her to get a hat, too. No, she wouldn't. She wouldn't. It's Easter. You wear hats at Easter, right? Everybody loves Easter Sunday morning. Everybody loves the resurrection. Here's the deal. The resurrection follows Good Friday, not Palm Sunday. All of the richness that we celebrate, we'll celebrate next Sunday morning, that he has risen, he has risen indeed. All of that depth and power and glory wasn't paid for at Palm Sunday. It was paid for on Good Friday. It was accomplished out of what Jesus did on the cross. And so I just want to say, Christ's following friends, I believe that the Lord is inviting us to embrace paradox To do as Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you lose it. You lose your life for his sake, you will find real life. Christ following friends, I I want to encourage you to stop expecting, and I don't know that many of us do, but some do. Stop expecting this journey to always be easy or enjoyable or sacrifice-free. Instead, expect it to be a walk that in one way or another will cost you everything. And yet it will be worth it all. Those who are walking with Jesus, who have that realistic expectation, experience through this paradox, life and hope and purpose. Those that want it to be perfect and sunny and easy all the time are often disappointed and are not following the real Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't offer only shouts and crowds and sunshine. He offers us meaning and purpose, but it comes through surrender and repentance and trust. And that's the kind of church that I want to invite Grace Church to be, a church that is willing to look beyond what's easy. I'm all for easy, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those guys that's beating himself up, flailing myself. Don't be happy, you're serving Jesus. That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. But we need to be realistic about what he has called us to. He's called us to a life that is not easy, but it is oh so good. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray together. Of the original 12 disciples, of course, Judas kills himself before the resurrection of Jesus. He never gets to see, never gets to see the resurrection of the Lord. But of the original 12 disciples, other than John, the other 10 die violent, persecuted deaths. They're tortured. If you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you read about what these men went through, and it is horrific. I mean, it's unimaginable. I, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be one of those guys and die in one of those ways. And that's just the first 12. Down through the centuries, so many of those who followed the Lord and were faithful to him did not experience a life of ease. I said this to first service and I want to say it to you just for a moment. Just imagine that we could get those 10 disciples. All right, John can come too. John didn't die a violent death. We'll get the 11 disciples and they're here in the front. And we have the power, just for this morning, we have the power to say, hey guys, we will let you go back and we'll let, you, we'll let you get out of your persecuted death, but you have to also give back the relationship that you have with Jesus, the intimacy, the closeness, the warmth, the, the relationship that was so deep and so, and so true that you had with Jesus. If we asked them and said, was it worth dying to have what you had with Jesus? I would posit to you that every single one of them would say, I don't want to change a thing. Because the intimacy with him is more important than the ease of an easy life. And I think that's what God is calling us to as a church. Not Again, not that we would go out and look for things to be difficult. Things are difficult already. But that we wouldn't run from that, but rather embrace the fact that in the difficulty, in the struggle, in the, the world that we live in right now, the intimacy that we get to have with Jesus is more important than staying away from pain or hurt or difficulty or suffering. And I want to invite you this morning to embrace the paradox that following Jesus is hard, but it is good because he's worth it. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. Lord, forgive us for trying to make following you anything other than what it is, an invitation to lay our lives down, to pick up our crosses and to follow you. Forgive us for trying to make it easy. Sometimes it's just not easy, Lord. But in that embracing of the difficulty, may we find an intimacy, a closeness, a connection with you that is deeper and deeper and deeper. Father, I pray that Grace Church would be a people who are of such depth and maturity, who can appreciate the celebration on Palm Sunday, but understand that we are called to walk with you all through the week, right up to the very cross of Christ on Friday. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that we would be a people that allow you, Lord, to work inside of us, to strip away our passionate commitment to ease and to things being 
not hard. And instead, enable us to be a people that are willing to say, I'll walk with you wherever you lead me. I pray that you would take that out of us and draw us close to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you extend your hands in front of you? I wanna bless you in the name of the Lord before you leave this morning. Grace Church family, I pray that you would be blessed as you take up your cross and follow Jesus. I pray that you would be blessed as you don't seek to save your own life, but rather you lose your life for his sake so that you can experience true life, the life of Christ. Grace Church family, I pray that you would allow the Lord to go before you and be your rear guard, that he would walk beside you on your left side and your right side, that he would cover you with his his loving feathers, his wings of protection, and that he would undergird you with the everlasting arms. May you be blessed and protected and prospered in the name of Jesus. Amen. We trust that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, be sure to connect with us by visiting grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.